Welcome to New Freedom, and welcome to Position of Neutrality. As Sean points out, we try and start precisely on time, because that's polite, and because people join us online. Um, the other thing we like everyone to do recently, we, we uh, got word that everybody in the Arizona State Prison System and everyone in the Maricopa County Jail System now can get access to our stuff on the tablets. So, so that's precisely what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to make sure they hear you loud and proud in Kingman and Douglas and Yuma. Just let them know that we got a place for them, if you would, one more time. Thank you for that. And we always open with a prayer. And Chap is in the house. Come on and stand to your feet all over the room, please. <laughs> Father, we thank you and we welcome you. We welcome you into this house. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for everything you've done, everything you're doing, but most of all for what you're about to do. We give you the praise because, God, tonight is a special night as we dive into 8 and 9 and we start to make those amends, get things right, clear up the air. And we just want you to be with us here in this place on tonight to bless each and every one that walks in these doors. We ask you to use your manservant as he speaks life on tonight. And we give you all the praise in advance because your credit is good. In Jesus' name, let everyone say amen. Thank you, chap. All of you guys want seats. There's lots of seating in here if you want it. And if you've got anxiety and don't want to sit down, I get that too. Um, how many members we got in the house tonight? Oh, good, a bunch of you. Great, thank you. How many New Freedom staff do we got in the room tonight? Got a bunch of you. Thank you guys for being here. How about graduates? We got graduates in the room? Awesome. And family members? Got family members in the house? Great. Special thanks to the family members for supporting these men and women. It's important that you do that. We appreciate you. And, and all of you that are new to coming in here, we wanted to kind of do a head count. We haven't done that in a while, but we wanted you to see that you really did join a community. We've been talking to you for months or years, and, and now you're here, and we want to continue talking to you and, and, and helping to support you for many more months and years, whatever you want from us. And so we wanted you to see how big the community is, and people don't leave here. They come here, and they stay, and they serve, and they lift each other up, and that's what we hope you'll join us in doing. So thank you very much for that. Who's never been here before? Anybody in here for the very first time? Very good. So, so, first of all, welcome to you. And second, let us warn you in advance, you may perceive us just a little different than other fellowships, other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. Um, what we do is we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yes? So we're just going to go through it. I'm going to try and show you how I find my experience in it and encourage you to have your experience with it. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. Fair enough? How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that does happen? So there you go, you see the show of hands. People online, they're raising their hand, but you can't see them. You have to take my word for it. But in 12-step recovery, when we speak of a spiritual experience, we're talking about a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll call it to your attention because we would teach you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of that power. Fair enough? So tonight we're going to be in steps 8 and 9 as chapter let us know, so we're in page 76 of the book. 
And it starts out in the middle of that page. It says, now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. How many of you recognize that phrase from another book? Do you think that's by accident? Yeah, they, they borrowed liberally from that other book as they recorded their experience in this book. For the alcoholic, faith without works is dead because I proved the power to me through me. And as a doubter by nature, I need that tangible sensory experience as I grow. Anyone relate to what I'm saying? The other thing that makes our fellowships grow, our communities grow, is that works are observable. You can tell me you have faith, but if you show me you have faith, now I can see and I can benefit from your demonstration. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, let's look at steps eight and nine. We have, we have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. Do any of you have such a list? Where did you get such a list? You didn't say that very loud, but what they said was they got it when they did their inventory. And the author said, we made it when we took inventory. Why do I point that out to people? Because the book is a book of experience. And so we were trying to align our experience with theirs. Who's we? The first 100. It's no one we're going to meet in the modern fellowships. It's the first 100 who recovered. So if I want the experience they detail, I need to align my experience with theirs, not alter their testimony. Right? So did I get my eight-step inventory from my four-step inventory? Why, yes, I did, Joe. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so... It says, we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Those of you that have done that, is that what you did? Those of you who are contemplating it, are you thinking it looks drastic? <laughs> a lot of people are afraid of eight or nine or five, and so they stay in two. Right? Because they never enact the decision. So what we want to know is identify where you're at, right? Okay, all right, so now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. The authors are telling you of their discovery. Earlier on when we started talking about the second step experience, the encounter with the power we call God, they talked about these divine power flowing into them. Now they're telling you very clearly, although half of them were atheists or agnostics to begin with, their experience changed their mind. And one of the things they learned is that willingness is divine power. So if I lack willingness to do that which I need to do, I need to ask for that willingness until it comes. Does that make sense? How many of you found that you were sometimes not willing to do things, knew you had to do it, and maybe it wasn't that defined a prayer, but you started just asking for some courage? Yeah, willingness looks like courage because indeed it's an expression of empowerment, isn't it? Okay. All right, so remember it was agreed at the beginning that we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. With whom did we make that agreement? At the very, very beginning, the launching pad was the third step decision. God, I offer myself to thee. Yeah, do you want to do that again? Power. Yeah, power, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do that. You remember that one? Those of you who don't talk in King James language, don't, don't fret. It's all right. All right, so I made that agreement with the creator who dwells within me. It'd be a good idea if he's keeping his part of the bargain and I'm not spun out somewhere. I might want to try and keep my part of the commitment, yeah? All right, so probably there are still some misgivings. So they go right to the struggle. Any of you ever suffer from doubt? Okay, so we're going to acknowledge that we all struggle from doubt. If humans didn't have doubt, why would faith be such an important commodity? Okay, just a, just a question. There's not, there's not a cheat sheet or anything. I'm just checking. Okay, as we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. 
Any of you have that issue? Maybe we had a fairly rocky relationship with somebody. Maybe we harmed them in some way. And now going to them on a spiritual basis is uncomfortable. Anybody? No one in here had kind of nefarious business partners? Okay. Okay, so it said, let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. What they're trying to tell us is what they discovered is people are not as interested in your search for God when they're interested in your search for their stereo. Does it make sense? They, they, they need to see changed action. Faith without works is dead. If I'm hoping to improve this relationship, they're going to have to see a changed nature. And the only way they're going to see a changed nature is outward manifestations of that changed nature. Yes? Okay. So it says we might prejudice them. At the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God. You almost had it. Want to try again? <laughs> to be of maximum service to God <laughs> and the people about us. How many of you lived a life at times in addiction that felt like you had no purpose? What's the use? Now, not only have you discovered power and purpose within you, but now you're finding out that your real purpose is to reduce the ego and develop the attitude of a servant. Right? Okay. So it's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? This book, the, the trick to reading this book is you turn the statements into questions and when there's a question mark there already, it's meant to go inward instead of outward, if that makes sense. So you're supposed to ask yourself that question because that's how you're going to come up with your experience. Does that make sense to you, what I'm saying? So eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. So what I'm trying to do is grow in perspective. Am I afraid of being labeled a religious bore? Is that why I'm not giving God the credit for what I, I know power has done for me because I had no power to do this, right? Even long before I'm comfortable telling you about it, I was sure glad it had happened for me because it sure wasn't happening any other way. Okay. All right. So, so we may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with the sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. Back to the point. Glad you're in your search for God, Joe. But did you happen to find my stereo? Yes? Or whatever. Okay, so we don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it'll serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. How will you know when it'll serve good purpose? How will you know what tact and common sense looks like? You would, yeah, right? isn't this an exercise of growing in consciousness, right? So I'm trying to improve my consciousness. I'm getting the calamities, pomps, and worships out of the way. I identified them in four, and that's how I got my eight-step list. And now by going and owning that past bad behavior, those bad attitudes and ideas, I'm clearing away that wreckage, and I'm starting to have an improved consciousness by this time, right? Consciousness, the awareness of being aware of a power within me that's not of me. Yes? Okay. Then it says, the, the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. How many of you have had that issue? I've worked with hundreds of people over the, over the years, and all, to a person, we may not phrase it that way, but there are some people who we just do not want to go approach, for whatever reason. Okay? So it says, it may be he's done us more harm than we've done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. Anybody in that category? So it, it, it is a refusal to subordinate my ego and go make right this thing regardless of what happened there 
because I think they did me more harm. But who's suffering from the harm they did now, them or me? Me, and I'm not gonna be able to improve consciousness until I just leave that where it belongs. We just had this discussion just a minute or two before we started. We need to learn to own that stuff. I have this ill feeling. It's about this event. I'm past this event, and now I'm gonna leave that ill feeling where it belongs, right? So we don't get burdened with it, all right? So nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. What do they mean by that? Yeah, we got to make a decision and move in the decision, and that didn't just start and stop in three. I went in and looked at the facts about myself. I discussed about it with someone else, got some clarity, asked for a prayer with a little agreement in seven, and now I'm out trying to set this right, yes? And so, so I'm going to have to control the situation, not the people, not the outcomes, but the situation. I've got to take the initiative to make the approach. Make sense? Okay. It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. So don't get it twisted. They're not telling you to go to the hardest one first. I've heard that for years in the fellowship, and that's not what they said. No one's going to go to the hardest one first, and if we do, we're going to have to go make amends for the amends we tried to make. <laughs> but what you do is you get that circle around you to the wife, to the family, to the employer, and you start working where you will work, and eventually, when you get to the one you were never going to do, you're going to get more freedom from that than you did from the initial circle. And, and that timing is all up to the power within you. All right, so it says we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit. So how do I go to somebody in a helpful and forgiving spirit? Yeah, I'd have to center out. you get all the noise out of the way and figure out how would I like to approach if the roles are reversed, who was right? I'm going to have to get centered in the spirit, to Lance's point. Yep. And then it says, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. I probably can't do that unless I'm centered in the spirit. Because if I'm going to a, a difficult amends, an approach, I'm probably going to be scared. Yes? Okay, so under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. That's what they do. How many of you have gone and criticized such a person and argued? And we get to make amends for the amends we make, right? So we forgot step one, going to them in a helpful and forgiving spirit. The beauty of this manner of living they describe, you cannot do it wrong. There's always a step. When I find out I did it wrong, admit it promptly, go the other way. Okay. All right, simply we tell them that we'll never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. You won't have credibility telling them that if you don't believe it. Can't transmit what you don't have. So I, if I know I will never get where I want to go as a better human being until I've done my utmost to set it right with you, and I know that when I say that, you'll know it because you'll feel me. And if I don't, you ain't going to buy it. And it doesn't really matter if you do buy it. If I do it and I know I did it, I'll get the benefit and we'll leave you where you're at. Does it make sense? I'm not working their steps. I'm working mine. All right. So we're there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. Do you notice how they said the same thing several different ways? Do you think that that was an effort for them to describe to you how difficult it was to do, how many times they had to remind themselves, maybe how many times they screwed it up? How many of you have gone to make one and ended up not being satisfied and maybe it went off a little or, okay. So they're trying to, they're trying to get us to, through those levels of, of personalization of this process, and then they give you a promise, if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. So if any of those things, I'm not happy, I wasn't, didn't treat them the way I'm supposed to, then my manner was not quite right because I didn't get centered in the spirit. One thing, if I don't get the outcome, I just gotta go back a step. Does it make sense? There's nothing wrong with it, my manner, I just, I just wasn't centered. So now I know what I gotta do in order to move forward, yeah? How many of you went and made an amends? You were calm, or at least appeared calm. You were frank, you were direct. 
You were open to what they had to say, but you did not feel gratification. That can happen too. You want a hint of why that might be? Sometimes we get to a, what we think is a forgiving place for humans, but forgiveness is a divine act. So until it's rearranged in my mind, until I've employed it some other way, it may not lose its meaning to me. Does it make sense? So, so you may not get the ninth step promise till you're doing 12-step work. The big amends is 12, by the way. This is just to get me fit enough to go in that dope house and pull people out without causing a riot. Okay. In nine cases out of 10, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own fault, so feuds of your standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. So just encouraging us, sometimes it doesn't feel like you made progress, but if you did something, as long as you're moving in what you will do, you're making progress, even if it doesn't feel like it. Does that make sense? And, and you can always rely back on the promises. Was I calm, frank, and open? Yes. Then I had an expectation of the outcome that didn't come yet. Okay, well, okay, we're working on that. Okay. All right, so, so then it says, our former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well. That's what we're all hoping for, right? How many of you have had those? Kind of making amends? They praise you. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing so well. You got this. I'm thinking, I hope so. I was thinking of strangling you. Um, occasionally, they'll offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. So they're not promising an outcome, and they're not promising you know, good or bad. All they're saying is whatever it is, if you've made the approach, you'll get the benefit. And, You'll have to walk in the process until you feel the benefit. Make sense? Yeah. All right, so then it says, most alcoholics owe money. No <laughs> I've met exactly one person in all the years I've done all of this stuff who claimed he did not owe money. And I, you know, I never really vouch for the veracity of someone who's an alcoholic anyway, but I don't know how you get here not owing money. It, just, it escapes me. I needed all of my money for what I was... I couldn't even pay rent, for God's sake. Only suckers pay rent. <laughs> okay, we do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we're trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. How many of you discovered that? Thought you were pretty slick in your addiction. And then when you finally copped to it, you made it unanimous. <laughs> Maybe even relieved some of them, huh? Oh, thank God, I thought something was really wrong with you. <laughs> All right, so, so nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that it may cause financial harm. Be careful how you read that. They didn't say disclose your alcoholism to everybody because a lot of people don't care and it's not an acceptable excuse anyway. It's an explanation, but it's not an excuse. And I need to be right-sized about that. I'm not going to just, if I didn't harm you financially because of what I was doing in my addiction, then I don't owe you that explanation. But if I did harm you in my addiction because of that, then you need to know that I know that I spent your money, your rent money on the dope and that's why you had to put a lockbox on my apartment, kick me out, and I came through the fucking window. That's why that all happened. And that was wrong of me. Apparently some of you did the same trick, right? If they really wanted me out, they'd have boarded the place up. Let's get real. Okay. Um, so, approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. Look at their choice of words. They meant the words they said, they said the words they meant. We let them know we're sorry. How many of you have said you were sorry when your actions indicated clearly you were not sorry? So, letting them know we're sorry is going to be faith with works, isn't it? Okay. 
Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. How many of you got so crippled because of mounting bills you just threw in the towel and violated again or did? I hear that story all the time, right? Just gave up. What the hell? Okay. So we don't want to do that. Let's not let any more baggage pile up. It's not good for us. Yeah? Okay, then, uh-oh, this, this is an interesting one for this crowd. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense. Which, which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. So this is one for which you have not yet been adjudicated. <laughs> we may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We've already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Any of you start to see situations in your own life, even if it's not? How many of you tried to run from something you knew you could never escape? Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept, the alimony, kept up the alimony number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. Any of you have child support payments, alimony payments, restitution payments? That's a common form of trouble, too. Okay, so it says, although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. I always ask you the question there, do you have those payments, and go through a few things, because we have a selective way of reading sometimes. Well, I never did that. Well, I never did this. This isn't for me. Any of you ever done that? Yeah. So, so the point is, whatever it is, they've got some general principles that they find guiding. Would that be helpful? just to see what the general principles in this manner of living would dictate whatever my circumstance? All right, that's what they're going to tell us. So the first thing they say is reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. Did you know that a lot of people can hang out in our fellowships for years and think being abstinent is the goal? And every room they walk into just about has got a sign on the wall that tells us what the goal is. What's the goal? to wake up spiritually. So I got to remind myself at this stage where it's starting to get hard and I really need to be going consciously with God. I need that I committed to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. And that's going to require I surrender and subordinate my ego and put myself out in a way that I can serve. And I can't serve until I get past that judgment in my own mind of how someone may respond to me owning my own mistreatment of them. Does that make sense? Okay, so reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing. So just because I've reminded myself I'm going to any lengths to get a spiritual experience doesn't mean I'm going to be empowered to do anything without the spirit I discovered into going with me. In other words, you're going to be frightened when you go to do it. I need a power greater than me operating through me so that I can face that fear. Yes? Okay. All right. So, so no matter what the personal consequences may be, we may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. We, they're not saying you must not shrink at anything because you just want to be sober and you're sober right now, so I'm not shrinking. I didn't commit to get sober. That was a byproduct of what I committed to do. I committed to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience to stay stopped for good. So it isn't enough to be sober and miserable because it doesn't work for the likes of me. Okay. All right. So, so usually, however, other people are involved. So now they're going to talk to us about those mysterious others. There's you, there's the person you've harmed, and then there's others that are involved because of their links to me and my life and what I'm doing. Yeah? I said, usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. 
a man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. So they're telling the story of another who, although he was coming to their fellowship and he had gotten some kind of a job and he was starting to get his feet under him, all of a sudden the notice from the court came. Any of you ever had the legs cut, kicked out from under you because life showed up while you were trying to do better? It can be, it can be debilitating, can it? So luckily he was wrapped up by people and he started telling them how he wanted to just go to the court and throw himself in the court. And there were some other people supporting him and said, maybe you don't have to do that. Maybe that's a little ego driven. Any of you ever considered it's not, there's nothing humble about showing up and telling the judge what to do. We don't want impressive heroics what we want to do is start this new manner of living and quit assuming we know everything. If we're empowered in the spirit, then let's trust the spirit to walk us through whatever this we're going through, right? Okay, so it says, we thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. So they're giving you an idea who these others may be. His family, his new family, the family who's wanting the, the, the alimony, he isn't going to get any alimony when he's sitting in county. Right? So nobody's going to be served by me taking a rash action if it can be avoided. Does that make sense? Yeah. But sometimes when it's personal, we can't see that, which is why it'd be nice to have a fellowship around you that'd say, hey, maybe there's another way. How many of you have had somebody talk to you and go, let's not assume the worst is going to happen. Let's walk in faith and let's take every step on the way there to see if we can get a better outcome. Anthony. Anthony got a better outcome. <laughs> but he did walk in faith. You can cheer for Anthony for that. So do we suggest that he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness? He did and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. So which of those things that they listed do you think was most impactful to the woman who wanted her alimony? Yeah, I mean, everyone's got an opinion, but I suggest look at the entirety of it. He showed up and he hoped that she could forgive him someday. He provided a little bit of money and a plan and I didn't do any of this to stop you from doing whatever it is you're going to do. If you want me to go to jail, I'm still willing to do that. And, and if some of you are feeling that, you, you're feeling that, you understand that's what any lengths might look like, but that's what it is to walk in faith, right? Okay, and then it says, of course she did not. But of course he did not know the of course she did not part. So it required an act of faith to do the right thing. How many of you have discovered it requires an act of faith to do the right thing? How many of you have discovered that the right thing is often not the easy thing? If you're going to be in service to the Almighty, you need to figure out that as a servant, you're going to have to do a lot of hard things. You're not going to have to do them alone, but it's liable not to be the easiest path. Fair enough? Okay, so the whole situation has long since been adjusted. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. So in order to do that, what would he have had to do? He would have had to go talk to the, the current family and say, hey, look, I'm going to try and fix this, but if it doesn't go well, I could have to go to jail. He's going to have to go to the current employer and say, hey, I'm going to have to go fix this, but if it doesn't go well, I may not be here for my shift tomorrow. It's starting to make sense. And then if everyone's on board, now we're ready to go forward. What if they're not all on board? Keep, keep, talking and Keep praying, right? There may be a way I'm missing. 
right? Okay. So it says, if we have obtained permission and have consulted with others, ask God to help and the drastic... Very good. Ask power? Ask God. Ask God to help and the drastic step is indicated. We must not shrink. Now see how they're talking to you about the sensory experience of being empowered in the spirit. How many of you have had the experience of asking for something in prayer, regardless of where your faith walk was, and all of a sudden you knew? The conviction was there. You have to go. It's very difficult to describe the sensory nature of a flow of the Spirit, but they did a masterful job. But someone has to point that out, how you've all experienced. I felt you, a bunch of you feel it, what I'm talking about. The drastic step is indicated. Okay, if you're going, I'll go. Right? Okay. They're trying to get you guys to see this is real, this is tangible, this is sensory, this isn't illusionary, this isn't a theology, this is a relationship. Does that make sense? With this power within me. And it's going to empower those difficult things. Okay, so it says this brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. So I'll give you a little background on the guy. This was a, a, a more of an Oxford group guy, never really joined the AA fellowship, stayed in that lane. He preferred his church fellowship. But he had not been able, because of this interaction, how many of you, when you were drinking or using, accepted a little money to go do some, maybe buy some materials in advance? Or, and then somehow when it came time to go build something, you inexplicably had no money to buy materials and you had no materials. Did that ever happen? How many of you had the seventh tradition money and you were supposed to provide coffee and any of you ever used that for fare to get out of town? Most of us have some idea what it's like to, to do something that injures another, right? Okay, so that's, that's what happened to him, but his, his whole, his comfort came from his church fellowship. He hadn't been able to go to his Oxford group or his church for a long time because he had defrauded the entire church by taking the money, drinking the money away, and then saying, Cat didn't give it to me. And so that guy's reputation's ruined. The church got no money. And anyway, any of you recognize that pickle? Maybe we, some, something like that? Okay. So he says, it goes on to say, he felt that he had done wrong that he could not possibly make right. Any of you ever let people down and it was so overwhelming to you that you didn't think you could ever face them again? It doesn't have to be a church family, but it could be. It could be your own family, right? Okay. So if he, ha if he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? Question mark. Now it's time to go inward. Under the general principles we find guiding, what right did he have to risk all that? None without their permission. See how this is a basic operating instruction for a very complex machine, the human? Okay, so how could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? Question mark. How could he make a public statement exonerating his rival? And how many other people were affected by his decision to ruin his rival? He may not know, huh? because he defrauded the whole church congregation. Who does know? Come on, yell it out. Power knows. Not, not, not what people think, of, but when we talk about our higher power and we talk about it like it was a pet, we're talking about power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing in. We're talking about the animating force of me and you. And it, that power does know everybody I harmed him will fill. Do you think you are in this room by accident? Absolutely not. The atmospherics draw you here on any given night, and I just come here as a vessel, and I do what I do on any given night. Come Saturday, chap does what he does. On Everything in here is for just, just for you. Okay. 
So, so it says, after consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. So you can tell by the language that he was freaked out about the church family and how they might receive him. So he, he saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he, or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. Any of you ever get to a place where the crisis that you're facing was so tangible to you that you knew if I don't do something about it, I'm, in a, I'm going off the rafters. So that's what he's talking about. Okay, so here's what he did. He attended church for the first time in many years. Think about that. This guy sat on this pain for years. Any of you sit on pain for years? When would you like to unburden yourself of that pain? Okay. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met widespread approval, and today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. So they're painting you a picture of an act of faith, a humble ownership of mistreatment, fraud. And what they said the outcome was, the thief of the church fund is transformed into the trust, most trusted citizen in the town through the power of God. It's a pretty powerful testimony, isn't it? Some of you are feeling that. Because I know some thieves of church funds are amongst our, our group. <laughs> so there's a future. Okay. All right, so the chances are that we have domestic troubles. Any of you? Where's my meth addicts? <laughs> Y'all barely have domestics, much like <laughs> Motel 6 or whatever it is. We'll figure out what room to go in next. <laughs> Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if in this respect alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. Anybody have that discovery? After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How many of you had a significant other that got worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative while you were in your active? Okay, so the next thing they do is say, how could she be anything else? Given what showed up here time and time again, mistreating this person, I mean, what right have I got to focus on their worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative nature when any of you have trouble seeing your part in all this? Yeah, Denise left for a week when everyone had come across the country to visit her. She went out to take the trash and just didn't come back. Walked in three days later or whatever and just said, what? How was dinner? None of y'all done that? Yeah, Denise was a shit show. Was she one of your mentors? <laughs> Okay, so throw right under the bus, she went. Um, the husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Any of you get off on that? <laughs> Sean went to the strip joint. Somebody get him a Christie's t-shirt one day. <laughs> I know you have one, but I want, like a new one. Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. And have you ever met him or her? Okay. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? Question mark. So we're going back inward. It isn't really their level of understanding that's in question here. It's my behavior that is not in line with what I have said I want to become. Yes? So it says, a man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. So how many of you have had that experience? You're remorseful at times, and then you push it down, and you go behave the same way again, and, and at some point, there's a price to pay. How many of you have discovered that? Okay. 
Not only an emotional price, but maybe a physical price, right? Okay. So whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we're sure that our wife does not know, should we tell her? Nope. Wow, that was quick. How, why are we so quick to that? Have you had experience with that or what? How many of you were pretty sure that no one knew about your addiction? They qualified it and said, if we're sure she does not know. So you might want to ask yourself how sure you are. You may not be as slick as you think. So it says, not always we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? Not as emphatic, but equally quick. So how many of you have asked and got the answer in detail? That's kind of cruel, isn't it? I wish I'd got less detail now that I've experienced the detail, right? Especially in our crowd. Where's my tweakers? <laughs> the detail's going to involve leathers and feathers and all kinds of stuff, right? Okay. Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. You ever had that happen? Someone wanted more detail, they wanted names, give me names and places. So what they say is we feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. That's how they feel. We're sorry for what we've done and God willing it shall not be repeated. More than that we cannot do, we have no right to go further. And then they say though there may be justifiable exceptions and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, We've often found this the best course to take. Knowing my alcoholic nature, knowing the nature of my obstinance as an addict, and even when I'm no longer in active addiction, I'm still a bit obstinate, and they knew that about me because they knew that about them. They're not laying down any rules. They're saying, you know, do you, boo. <laughs> but what they did discover is when they coughed it up, when they gave names, it caused a deflection. It's happened to me. And, and then I didn't write anything. In fact, I probably ruined another situation. And I learned from that that I should have just stood on the, you know, the mistreatment was with me. I did that. You didn't deserve it. We'll deal with that without getting others involved. But I wasn't empowered to do that, and so I had a justifiable exception, and now I get to stand before you in a room full of people all these years later and cop to it. And I would suggest to you that it would be better off just to have done it right the first fucking time. But it wouldn't have made nearly as good a story. So no good story starts out with, I had a salad, right? There's always a wine course or something. Okay, so our design for the living is not a one-way street. It's as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. It's better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. So they're talking about the discovery I just shared with you. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. So who's an outsider in this case? Yeah, that's just between me and the creator. Okay. All right, so it may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let by bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we're dealing with the most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face -face combat. So they're giving us a suggestion. Those situations are difficult and we can get caught in a thought loop because the emotion attached to it is so painful. And so what they're saying is, if we're both in agreement, we're gonna work through this, then each of us might pray about it with the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. And then in that prayer, we'll be delivered out of that thought loop if we stay persistent in the prayer. Does that make sense? I mean, they didn't make that as clear, but I'm just telling you that's what they're suggesting to us to do. Because we're not saying it wasn't painful and it won't continue to be painful, but the pain will get diminished as soon as I can move beyond it if I've made the decision that I'm going to make a life with this person regardless. Yes? Okay.
All right, so, so if we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he's yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding as the patients mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. How many of you had family members that you just took on a torturous tr trip? Right? And, and they stayed with you even as angry as they got, maybe. Right? Or they came, they resurfaced. So that's what they're talking about. There's, there's some stuff to do even after things start going smoother because that old hurt's still there. And, and please, if you were ever in active addiction, anyone that was with you and not in active addiction was just as sick as you because nobody that isn't really sick hangs with the likes of me when I'm running and gun. <laughs> so the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. I suggest to you, considering your own experience, we hear that all the time, well, at least you're sober. Or, at least I'm sober. Well, that required no action on my part. It takes no power to not drink. If I don't drink long enough, I'll be sober. But I'm still miserable. Any of you ever been sober and miserable? So if I don't get all that baggage off and start getting something cleaned up, what's the likelihood I'm going to maintain long-term sobriety? My history would suggest it's not going to happen. Okay. So a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. I need awakening. Putting down the bottle ain't going to get it done. I'm going to have to subordinate the ego. Develop the heart of a servant. Do those things that are hard. Yes? Okay. All right. So he, he's like the farmer who set up, came out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? So they're painting a picture some of us do that. We come into recovery, early recovery, all of us to some degree. I get to my meeting and we just leave everything a wreck. And everyone's just supposed to understand because at least the bitch ain't coming home, we'll twist it off. <laughs> but that's not really what's up, right? Okay. So yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead and we must take the lead. So what are we reconstructing? Relationships. They said sweet relationships are dead. How many of you can construct a living relationship? How many of you think you're going to need the power of something greater than you? You might need resurrection power. You might want to consider. How many felt that? Some of you felt that. Okay. A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly <coughs> excuse me, responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. You know, that never made it on very many walls in all the years that I've walked into halls, but it should. It should be a part of our daily awakening. Just pray that creator show you the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love, because as you're walking in that way, you're going to see things differently. Does that make sense? Okay. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. It's a manner of living. I'm not acting spiritual. I am by my nature spiritual. But you won't know that until the light in me shines through me. See, I don't need to tell you I'm enlightened because light is self-evident. You'll call it to my attention. Does that make sense? Okay. So unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not urge them. Why did they say that? Yeah, how many of you had that experience where you, you had something that was really profound to you and then you just wanted everyone to know it, but they found you annoying? 
We all do it. So, so there, yeah, we can recognize it, but, but you know, try and temper your enthusiasm a little because you'll be more effective. Okay. So we should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. So there's a promise there. Don't talk incessantly about it. Let them watch you and your changed nature. Most of us in this room, we, we went through some stuff. So when they see me not going through that stuff, they know something happened. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness and make a skeptic out of anyone. Guys, if we go insist that people see us different when they can't see us different because they're looking through the lens of their own thoughts from the harm and the pain we've brought on them, we're not doing any good and we're not serving the people who could receive it. I've got children to this day who do not really enjoy spending time with me or communicate with me. Guess what I did as a hobby? I adopted everyone in the Arizona Department of Corrections and built a house. Does it make sense? Because that's what the father told me to do. And it's true. Because the works prove the faith. Okay, so there may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. Yes, very good. We don't crawl before anyone. I'm not going there to be humiliated by anybody because once I know who I am and whose I am, you can't humiliate me. I'm there to dump off my humiliation. I humiliated me when I harmed you. Now they got some promises for us. We can blow through them if you want. If we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. So we're going to start prosecuting our amends, and somewhere along the way, we're going to be amazed. How many of you started just doing some simple things, and all of a sudden you were amazed? I see people here every day I know that are amazed. Because I see them coming in here looking like they're right out of a, fresh out of a perp walk. Still walking stiff, hands behind their back. And then they meet somebody they knew from somewhere else. And pretty, hey man, you don't got to be that here. We're all, we all come here with a past and we all leave it here, man. We, matter of fact, we left it at the gate. We just need a little reminder. Right? You, you. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We'll not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We're going to learn to retell the story. I'm telling the story of a dead man. Why would I regret that? And if I can use it to help you, I'm going to tell you all about that dead man and how he was lifted up. <laughs> That's not my lead. We clean up good. You don't necessarily know my past when you meet me. People meet me, they don't know my past. But if it'll help them, I'll share my past. Right? All right, so we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others if you'll continue to serve. Get through the process, start helping others, and you'll see that no matter what nasty, gnarly thing you ever went through, it will be put to purpose. Okay? That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. How many of you already had that happen? All of you guys that came here as members had to prove to us that we're mentoring you that... You were thinking of others, that you were helping out, doing things, and then you got here and you helped us stuff newsletters to send them back to the people you just left. You think that any of that was by accident? Hell no, it wasn't by accident. It was intentional. We want you doing things for others because that's the, that, right? The Son of Man came to serve rather than to be served. That's what we're trying to walk in. Okay. So our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. Now, they told us fear of economic insecurity will leave us. Don't get it twisted. Economic insecurity may not go away quite so quick. <laughs> we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us, and we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us 
what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not, but for those of us who have experienced them, they are pretty damn extravagant. Okay. So they're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Thank you very much.